Hello everyone and welcome to episode 2 of your sister-in-law podcast, a show where we discuss everything about the law, life and innovation. I'm your host Rutendo, a mom, wife, sister and above all, lawyer. Today we have two amazing guests, my mentors in my mind, joining us as we celebrate the World IP Day, a significant day in the intellectual property field where we get to share some of the amazing accomplishments from an IP perspective. Before rambling too much, I'd like to welcome our guests, Rumbi Lambo and Simba Makamadze, extinguished IP experts in their own right. So welcome guys. I'm super excited to have you as my first guest. Thank you for having us, Rutendo. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Rutendo, for having us. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for making time. Um, so yes, I'm just going to, uh, you know, read your your bios, um, so that people get to actually understand um, who we have on today. So Rumi is an IP expert. She's working at the intersection of intellectual property and innovation for socioeconomic development. She is also um, a member of the Tech Women in Zimbabwe, and was once um, a UZ in Aribo. Uh, IP expert. She is also, I feel like Rumbi, you are the only patent drafter in Zimbabwe. Am I right? Oh, I'm tooting a big horn right now, but I feel like you are quite the expert in the field. Um, and Simba, Simba is the CEO of Palladium IP Consultants, an intellectual property services and strategy firm that offers a unique blend of IP services from IP creation to commercialization. He's also the founder and CEO of All Things IP Africa, a Zimbabwean-founded UAE-based e-commerce startup that is disrupt disrupting the decades-long intellectual property protection value chain in Africa. Welcome again, Simba. Thank you Yo, so much. Your bio Antenna. is quite long. Hey, your bio is quite long. I just said, I just read the. Ignore the rest. You know, but um, no, thanks guys for, for, for being here. Um, so I think maybe just to start off, I would like to understand, um, you know, from, from both of you, what does IP mean to you? I know for me, it's my, well, it was my first baby, you know, when, and I, I think it was through Rumbi who then probably ignited this fire in me uh, when it came to intellectual property. But I would also want to understand from your guys' perspective, what does IP mean to you? So maybe, I don't know who can start, Any anyone can start. <laughs> Who's starting, you didn't ask that. Okay, so for me, intellectual property, obviously we have, you know, our academic and theoretical protecting the creations of the mind. But for me, I feel like, you know, it goes beyond just, you know, protection. I feel like intellectual property is a tool that we can use really for us to, you know, develop and especially in the context of Africa, you know, I, I feel like we need to understand that this is a tool that we cannot do without for us to really transcend and, you know, get to that development 
you know, level that we want to get, that we want to be at, you know, so that we, we don't keep going back. So I feel like intellectual property is a tool for socioeconomic development, whether we're looking at, uh, you know, technological development, whether we're looking at social development, you know, looking at all aspects of societal development, we cannot do without the creativity and input of people through their intellectual, you know, uh, you know, uh, endeavors. I feel like that's what IP means to me. Interesting, Simba. Well, indeed, Rundi. I think um, you know when we when we speak about intellectual property, and uh, and for me personally, um, there's the the theoretical experience and the the, the practical experience of, um, of IP. It, um, I mean, having worked in, uh, in, in Africa, which is uh, um, mostly the, the developing world, and of course, worked in the developed world in the same space of intellectual property, um, I, I do believe uh, as a continent, we, we need to now move uh, from awareness to, to, to appreciation. We, we've been talking much about, um, you know, making people aware of um, IP, um, you know, as a tool for economic development and stuff like that. But um, I, I think that we, we are at a stage where we now need to look at um, the practical aspect of intellectual property in terms of appreciation um, of intellectual property and the value. And of course, getting, um, getting the value or the money out of, um, out of protection, which we have been um, uh, preaching about for, for the longest time. So that's the, 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 the direction that we need to, to be taking as a continent. I agree with you totally, because I feel like we've been doing a whole lot of presentations around or a whole lot of uh, seminars or webinars, whatever it is around awareness of intellectual property, right? But um, it feels like you, when you do another one, you are starting all over again. I don't know, what do you feel like is the biggest hindrance when it comes to people generally just understanding what it is enough for them to then implement it um, in whatever that they're doing? So it could be, uh, entrepreneurs, or it can actually be, you know, the big corporates, do they really understand what it means? Enough for them to actually commercialize something. Um, so also maybe from Sipa's perspective, you can then touch on Dubai's perspective and how they appreciate intellectual property and what we can do maybe as Africa and Zimbabwe specifically. So yeah, you, you're right, Rutin. I think, um... The, the issue here and, and the, the, the key word for me is value. So if you look at um, issues around protection, um, most of the practitioners um, in Africa um, are looking at the, the, the protection of intellectual property, which is good. But we need to, to then stretch from the, the protection part to look at the, the dollars and cents uh, of intellectual property. So if you look at uh, entrepreneurs, uh, businesses, uh, corporates and stuff like that, the focus has been on the, um, on the protection side of things. And even when uh, practitioners are selling their services, they are more on the protection side. And when we look at the protection side, it involves uh, using money actually. So what we need to do now is to go a step further and look at where is the money after protection, which is, uh, which is now commercialization. And um, when we come back to the, the, the experience and the situation uh, in UAE in general or in Dubai, um, they are more on the, on the practical side. You would be surprised that um, as a country, they don't have uh, a national IP policy. 
uh, which is something that a lot of African countries have spent so much time working on those documents. And then the implementation side uh, becomes a, a different story. So their approach is more on driving innovation. And um, that experience here has also pushed me to then get involved in the journey of um, uh, innovation itself. So I, I'm now a, a certified um, chief innovation officer. So I'm involved in the journey of creation of intellectual property from ideation stage. And then we walk through uh, the journey of creation of IP, um, you know, protection of IP, management of IP, and then the commercialization side, which is the bigger part where the money is. I think that's the approach that we need to be looking at, finding the value and the money out of intellectual property. Mm. Interesting. And actually, when you brought about um, the fact that you're now an innovation officer, I want to direct this question to Rumbi, like, um, there's a whole lot of hubs that are going around, right? We have several hubs within universities. What is your take when it comes to intellectual property? Do these hubs actually appreciate um, intellectual property uh, and the entrepreneurs who are members of these hubs? How are they commercializing their projects? Are there any projects that have actually been fruitful enough for us to stand and say, okay, fine, there was a project that came from this specific hub, right? And it has created jobs for the next 10 people and they have protected their IP. They already understand what um, commercialization is or tech transfer is. Um, what is your understanding around hubs and what can you say um, is your perspective right now? Okay, so I think, uh, first of all, you know, just building on what uh, Simba was saying is we need to delegalize intellectual property. I think that's the first step that we need to take as Africans for us to really understand how it works and how it applies. It then applies to innovation. So when we look at um, intellectual property in the current context, it's so legalized to the extent that it's unreachable and un understandable by most of the people who are supposed to be actually creating, innovating, implementing, commercializing, and transferring, right? So the minute that you say something is legal, that means that it's it's just the the you know it's it's just for an exclusive type of person or exclusive group of people who are lawyers, right? So and then obviously it comes with a lot of legal terms, a lot of unknown words, and it it really becomes unreachable, you know, to the mind of any ordinary person. You know, even when we're looking at our institutions now, like we're talking about innovation and then we look at intellectual property. So we also need to understand that from the development uh, trajectory. So when economies are moving from stage one to six, stage six of, uh, you know, development, you know, there are certain things that happen in each stage, right? So we are at the stage where we are not really supposed to focus on the protection per se, right? We're supposed to use intellectual property as a source of innovation uh, for creation, right? It has to inspire us. We have to know what is happening and what has happened before and how we improve on that or how we solve you know problems within the existing framework of you know uh, of uh, intellectual property and then we use we apply then we innovate and create you know groundbreaking you know technologies and innovations that are global right and we already become competitive now when we look at how the development trajectory for south korea for japan for china they started with that development what they did like when you look at the legal aspects they took on 
global uh, intellectual property. So we're looking at patents that were not even being filed in their countries. They read through them, they started to create, they started to test, they tried to see if they could make them and satisfy the demand locally. There are so many things that are importing as African countries, but we need the knowledge and technology to develop them on our own. And as we do that, we'll make mistakes, we'll create. Then we get to a level where we are now you know, we are now well versed with this uh, knowledge and, you know, technology. Then we start creating our own and innovating and competing with the global world. So we, within the framework of the current innovation system in Zimbabwe, I feel like, yes, what we have done is great, but now I think what we're lacking is contextualization and understanding of the framework of innovation that you need to go through for you to get to that level. There are projects that have been successful, but if you look at the projects that have been successful that are employing people that have really started making money, those are projects that are employing this, um, you know, this uh, knowledge that is already there. Maybe it's already there in America, maybe it's already there, but then they're now developing locally. You see, which is where we need to start, right? Then as they're developing, I'm sure they're then going to start, you know, problem solving, creating, and, you know, getting to where they're supposed to. So in terms of innovations, technologies, or creations that are new to the whole world, um, I'm yet to see them uh, from the local innovation space, but innovations that are just simply like what we do with, um, you know, utility models, new to the country and new to the sector definitely those are coming up and those are really um uh, you know making money i know like with the recently uh, held presidential innovation awards lots of projects going on and lots of practical products coming out and that's the way to go but then we also need to know what's next after that I agree. I agree totally. I feel like it's more of the implementation stage, like what Simba mentioned when he said, we already have like a national IP policy, right? But when it comes to the implementation, I'm not really sure if we are quite there yet. Um, but also with my interaction with a lot of entrepreneurs, and I actually had to experience this myself, you know, I'm also an entrepreneur by nature. So when I was, um, I always, you know, just preach this whole uh, register your IP, protect your work and whatever. But when it actually comes to paying, you know, when it actually comes to paying the fees, I, when it was now my turn to actually pay for something, it was quite difficult for me. You know, I don't know why, but I don't know whether it was the, the, the high application fees or whether it was just not the right time for me or what, but, um, and that's the biggest struggle with a lot of entrepreneurs. You tell them, okay, just register your trademark, register your utility model, ETC, but when it just comes out to paying for something or paying for the application fees, let alone the drafting fees, they struggle. So I don't know, what are your opinions when it actually comes to the pricing model? <laughs> Rumbi, are you laughing? <laughs> uh, okay, that's that's an interesting that. point, um, Rutendo, when it comes to the fees. Sorry, Rumbi, to, to, to come in. Mean, I want to touch on one of your points to, to add on that and of, of course answer um, Rutendo's uh, issue on fees. That's one of the biggest impediments when it comes to, to the developing world. So if you look at our, um, uh, our countries, most, most African countries, their, their focus is uh, on getting uh, foreign currency. So you look at their standard fees, they are based on, um, um, on foreign applicants. So if you look at statistics, uh, be it Zimbabwe, be it uh, Southern Africa in general, or on the continent, you find that there are specific official fees for foreign applicants 
um, which then apply to, to, to local applicants. So the, the first issue is um, when you look at that approach, it, it works from a, from a government point of view because 90% to 95% of those applicants um, are foreign applicants. So it makes money for them. But what it does is that it kills the local applicant or the, the, the local entrepreneur who is trying to, to, to protect their intellectual property. I'll give you an, an example of the, the, the Indian approach. So what they've done is they, they've created a law to, to support uh, SMEs, to support innovators. So as a government, uh, they have got a fund that pays your fees as a lawyer or your fees as an IP attorney uh, for the benefit of the, of the innovator. So which means the innovator has got a responsibility of paying uh, government fees only, which is official fees. Professional mm -hmm. fees are taken care of by the government. And if you look at um, statistics in terms of the world IP indicators, look at how India has been doing in terms of filing. They've been doing very well. That's number one. But then number two, coming to on this point, I always fight with other you know, professionals when it comes to this. Africa is unique. And when the initial conversation about intellectual property was started, Africa was not on the table. The conventional IP system did not have Africa in mind. It was not there. Now the challenge is, as we drive towards changing things, the bigger drive is on catching up international best practices, which to me is not the best approach. The best approach is what will be mentioned, and a very good example is China. So if you look at China historically, um, you know, 15, 20 years back, they had a very flexible and less stringent uh, IP protection system. And it allowed them to learn, it allowed them to, to, to reverse engineer, um, it, it allowed them to build, right? Which is what Africa needs. Because most of the technologies that are existing in the world is what Africa needs, but we need to contextualize that and then um, bring it to the continent. So if you look at the China journey, they were very open. Uh, I, I remember at some point we used to, to despise the products coming from China, I mean, issues of quality and stuff like that. But honestly, they are no longer there. They are leading in telecoms. They are leading in automobile. They are leading mm -hmm. in heavy equipment. They are leading in every aspect. They are leading in patent application, in patent applications. And this time, they are on top in the world. But this, their, their approach was very strategic. It was, it was well planned. And that's the approach that we need to be to, uh, to be looking at um, uh, as a continent. Then my, my last point comes to the issue of hubs. Uh, we've got a couple of hubs uh, in Zimbabwe and in, in Africa in general. And these hubs, um, some of them are driven by, I mean, like their public sector, they're driven by government. But what these hubs do not have is, is a collective approach where we do have um, what I would call uh, an ecosystem in one place. I'll, I'll tell you about the, 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 the UAE template of an innovation hub where as an entrepreneur or as a startup or in, as an innovator, if you get into a hub, um, you get in uh, with an idea, you come out with a, a functional and registered company with all documentation done. And this is happening in one place. So what that means is, for example, if we're taking an innovation hub at one of the universities in Zimbabwe, if someone gets in there, they will find the company's registry there. They will find the IP office there. They will find the EMA there. They will find the customer's guide there. They will build their idea and company 
um, and be able to register and go through all the processes in one place, which is something that we do not uh, currently have in, um, uh, in Zimbabwe and most African countries. Yeah, that's, that's, that's so interesting. And, you know, just also talk about the fees issue. Um, I feel like as Africa, we're not being strategic. Look at how we are missing out. Like we look at the, you know, the, the, the application fees. Like, so when we say now there are over 2 million patents that are being filed globally, right? And I think in 2019, only just above 14,000 were filed in the whole of Africa, you know, including South Africa and all the big uh, you know, economies. And I'm looking at that difference. What is the loss in terms of you know, potential revenue for our IP offices, right? With those patents not being filed in Africa. So I feel like, you know, because that is happening, we need to take a stance and a stand to really utilize the intellectual property system to the best of our advantage so that we can have those you know those people filing in our countries and bringing in revenue because they feel they you know we are competitive enough to copy we're competitive enough you know to to buy or to license or to do whatever so i feel like really we're being taken for granted and we need to wake up it's like those statistics should just be a wake-up call for us if we only have fourteen thousand. Uh, 500 or just above 14,000, uh, you know, patents in the whole of the continent, yet in the whole world, people are trading in over 2 million, you know, patents each year. What, what, what is going on? You know, so I feel like we really need to look at this strategically and look at how we can now empower our own people with the IP system, with the fact that we don't have those, uh, you know, we don't have those, you know, uh, stringent, uh, you know legal things to go through you know because it's not protected in africa let's use it let's test it and i feel like within the hub system we need a, like what simba is talking about you know where hub like right now i feel like of course you know people they grow they learn but i feel like there's a simple way that you know the 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 higher and tertiary institutions should just implement those hubs for them to be functional see they should be open to anyone and everyone Right. I feel there's a lot of emphasis on students and yeah, students are good, especially I mean, the emphasis on undergrad students. We need to, to look at our postgrad students. We need to look at our professors and PhD people. We also need to look at community. You know, the innovations come the most unexpected um, you know, places and we also need to come together teams of people together someone who's in university someone who's not someone who's a community i remember when i went to the silicon valley one thing that i saw about how they innovate you know this big multi-billion dollar companies they have innovation departments and sometimes when they're consulting for their innovations they will take let's say for a tech product they take a doctor a teacher or just anyone who doesn't have a background they take someone without that background and ask them about their product and how they can improve or how it works and then they get such insights that are so you know unexpected and that's how they grow so i feel like that innovation ecosystem needs to be vibrant it needs to be you know it has to to make sense to everyone it shouldn't be limited to selected people and you know the processes and have everything done there you know they don't even screen for ip they don't even you know it's of course it's growing but i feel like there's so many things that need to be put in place for mm -hmm. it to work to the, to the level that we want it to work mm -hmm. you know
yeah. I agree totally. And I guess maybe it then just brings me to one of my last points where I'm like, okay, looking at the theme of the World IP Day, what do you feel should change for women in the innovation and creativity space? Um, yeah, and also looking at you guys, I feel like you are also parents of uh, the girl child, right? So yeah, whilst you're answering this question, I also want you to think about your girl child and what you feel like should be done. Because I also feel like uh, these kids, they're growing in an environment where it's allowing them to explore and it's exposing them to technology, robotics, artificial intelligence. So um, what do you really feel should be done when it comes to IP for women in this space? I think, uh, I mean, uh, Rutendo, coming to, to, to your point, I wanted to just add something on, uh, on Rupi's point, but before I do that, um, when it comes to, to the girl child, I think um, what we need for, for starters is to create an environment where the girl child can, um, can thrive, where the girl child can innovate. Um, you know, when I was looking at history, I was looking at um, uh, Mary Anderson, I mean, she survived between 1866 and 1953, but as a girl child, she's the, the inventor of the, um, you know, uh, windscreen wipers. And come to think of it, um, this person was more exposed to the real estate space, right? But um, as, an as, as an inventor, um, she saw something different. So if we allow the girl child to, you know, to, 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 to explore, uh, to have this space, uh, we can definitely do, do something, and um, which is um, good to have a theme for the World IP Day, uh, to be focused on that. And uh, my last point um, touches on what Rumbi said about patterns. And really, patterns are readily available for the African continent. Uh, what we need to do is to make uh, patent information available and the standard IP office that we have, there should be a shift. Uh, I remember doing an article about my ideal IP office, which should be more like an innovation agent rather than an administrative office that issues documents. And um, with that, we, 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 we get to expose IP to the people. I mean, Ethiopia is a very good example. They've created a platform where they are publishing all the patents and utility models that they have for locals for the purposes of licensing. It's a starting point where we are looking at commercialization of IP, and this is the direction that we, we should be taking as Africa. Yeah. And, you know, um, when you talk about women, oh my gosh, that's me. That's, you know, empowerment. You know, there's a lot, you know, one, we have very few women that take up technical roles, technical programs. And even when they do, they shy away. And I'll return with get that at the innovation um, you know, fair. Um, and you saw that I remember there were very few girls in those uh, amongst the innovators, especially when we looked at engineering and ICT and all that. The women were more on the agriculture side, which is okay, but I felt like, oh my gosh, where are the women? Where are the girls? And right. we're not creating an environment. You know, we're not creating that environment that's conducive because it's, you know, I mean, now it's, it's they make it so super competitive to the extent that a girl feels like, oh my gosh, maybe I'm not good enough. Oh my God, maybe my point is not good enough. Oh, maybe my idea should not be good enough. I remember speaking to some of those boys and they were like, you know what? I came up with this idea three days ago and then they had opened it up to say, come and exhibit and show off your idea. 
only boys came. I think there was in uh, the computer engineering, computer science, uh, this is just for one university. There was just one girl. I'm like, huh? This is not right. You know, and you know, they are, you know, when we're looking at gender and gender inclusivity, gender equality, we need to make sure that within this innovation system, within the innovation hubs, we need to create an environment where women can thrive, where they don't feel afraid. Women, you know, communicate differently, women, you know, socialize differently. So we need to make sure that we're deliberate in terms of how we are sourcing within our institutions, within our communities, speaking to these women. Because I remember one of the 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 the, the lecturers there, who, who, you know, was with the students. I was like, "Where are the girls?" And she was like, "You know what? You'd be very surprised to to find out that those ideas that these guys are presenting are coming from the girls." And then the girls actually say to the boys, "You go and present. You go." And then the boy takes it up and takes ownership. And at the end of the day, they're the ones on the papers. So women are really being left out. As we celebrate World IP Day today, and as we look at women, let's be sensitive to how women uh, socialize, how women create, and what women want and what they need within the spaces. Because I tell you, like what Simba was saying, women are very practical. When you don't have the contribution of women in innovation, you are losing out because women want to solve problems, want to solve problems for the community. Um, when you work with women and ideation, they, they, they want to be practical. They want to solve a problem that's affecting the kids, that's affecting the community, that's making their life difficult. Once you solve that problem, the impact is that you come up with an innovation that impacts the whole world. And we are missing out on those ideas and innovations for, from women. So we really need to change the environment and what we are providing for women to innovate and create. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Thank you so much, guys. Um, well, fortunately or unfortunately, we've come to the end of our second episode. And once again, I'd like to thank my guests. And let's just keep preaching the IP gospel till they listen. Thank you to my listeners. I appreciate you. This is me signing off. Yours, Martin Romy.